Welcome to In a Prosecco, the podcast that raises a glass to moms who are transitioning from empty nester into the next beautiful phase of life as a free bird. I'm your host, Bernie Slowey. I'm a mother of two sons who have grown and flown, and I'm also a former corporate executive, filmmaker, writer, speaker, and entrepreneur who has helped women transfer into their authentic selves to uncork their infinite sparkling possibilities. So whether you're sipping a Prosecco or your favorite beverage of choice, join me as we pop open today's message in a bottle. Hello and welcome back to Inna Prosecco. Thanks for joining me today. And I am excited to introduce a very special guest, my husband, Joe Slowey. Glad to be here. I'm glad, glad to be your here. first guest. <laughs> yeah, you are my first guest. So That's this right. definitely qualifies as a bottle popper. And we've been married for a long time, 25 years. But and we've been, been together for 28 years. 28 years. So either I'm having one glass today, or I could be having the whole bottle, depending on how we go with the interview. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> so I'll pour. And I'm having, well, you're, explain what you're having. I'm having sweet tea. And you made it at home. I made it at home. Homemade sweet tea. Homemade sweet tea. And I'm having my regular cuvee. You're having caffeine. I'm having cuvee or cuvee if you're French. But it's really Prosecco and a little splash there. So now that we're actually cheers. on our first episode together, cheers to you, toast. Hmm. I really appreciate you agreeing to be on the show because I thought it was important for us to share with others a he said, she said perspective of empty nesting. I think it's apropos since we went through it together. Yes, exactly. And we just had our boys home for Thanksgiving. And this morning, really, I had a, an idea for a topic, which I probably will do later, but it came to me that really the person that came up with the free bird concept was you, because I was definitely the empty nest syndromer. You were the empty nest, <laughs> empty nest mess. <laughs> and you're like, but yeah, but we're free birds now. We get to do whatever we want. So I thought it would be a healthy way to kind of share our story and how we both approached the life change. And then also kind of really how it's been going because sure. it's been what now four years. I think so. Like, cause our eldest Nick went off to college in 2019 and then our youngest Jack went in 2020 and our oldest actually lives with us three months out of the year because he works on a cruise ship for the other nine months. <laughs> and then our youngest son is still in college and he's finishing up his freshman year. But I wanted to start off first kind of talking about how we met. And but first and foremost, because this is my first interview, I want to know more about your background, Joe, before we share how we actually met. Uh, one of four kids, military brat, lived all over the world, mainly in the United States, lived in Iceland for a couple of years. Um, youngest of, I'm not the youngest, I'm third in the line of four, two older sisters and a younger brother. Um, we met, obviously, in Denver. Um, well, you were a military brat, so you moved all over the place. Right. And being born in Texas, yep. are you still a Cowboys fan? Uh, sort of. It's kind of hard to root <laughs> for the Cowboys when they're a 500 team every year. Well, then you move to places like Alaska, Iceland. Coast to coast in the United States, yes. Iceland was two years in Iceland back in the 70s, late 70s. Um, High school in Virginia, and 
a brief stint in college, then six years on a cruise ship. And after that point is when I moved to Denver and the rest is history. Yes, indeed. Although we didn't start dating for several years after I moved there. Right. When you started hitting on me when. Right, right. When you were having your 4th of July party. Right. That's not what happened. <laughs> I think it was mutual. I mean, it was more of like, okay, we were attracted to each other and we'd known each other for a couple of years. I would, yeah, I would agree with that. And that I finally gave in. <laughs> that's, right? that's not what happened, but it's your story. <laughs> tell it how you want to. It's your show. Tell it how you want to. <laughs> well, I will say that what I always appreciated um, when we first started dating that um, you had a dog, Barkley, a beautiful black lab, and you were very responsible with him. And I think that's one of the things that really was attractive for me that I saw that you were very responsible. I mean, I was in my mid 20s, living life. Like I felt like 25 was one of my best years ever. And not because I met you and we started dating, but that was a big, big part of it. But I had graduated from college and I thought I was going to go off to grad school. So then when I had my summer off before I was going to actually start studying for the GMAT, I thought you were going to be my summer of fun. <laughs> and it was more than just the summer. It was definitely fun. And then when we had uh, our friend ask us to dog sit her puppy, Bailey. And you were watching Bailey with me. And so I saw how adorable you were with her sweet little, like two month old puppy. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is someone I could see being the father of my children. And this is coming from somebody that didn't want to have kids or didn't think you would have kids. Oh no. I planned to have my tubes tied originally when I was 18. I'm glad I didn't. But I also thought that if I ever were to have kids, I wanted to be able to have boys. Absolutely love boys. And then that's what we got. We got two amazing young men who are just awesome. And I love how close they are to one another. And, and really, it was an example that I saw between you and your brother, Peter, and how close you were and like growing up together and experiencing all of the different places that you lived in, but also just that you were close in age and I always wanted that. I didn't have that growing up because my youngest sibling or my sibling next in line was five years my junior. And then the youngest was 15 years my junior. So I really admired how I mean, your parents had four kids within four years and four months. Yep. One after another. And my dad close. wouldn't leave my mom alone. <laughs> but, but growing up, you had each other. No matter where you lived. We were all very tight grown up together, all of, all of the kids. That's what I admired so much about watching your family and um, meeting them for the first time. It was like, wow, I really love the idea of having kids close in age. And so when we got married, um, I, I mean, of course, I thought, okay, you're going to be an amazing dad. Then we got married in Mexico. 1998, where we decided to go back to Cozumel, where we first our had first, our, our first trip together. Yeah, it was our first real vacation together. And I had never been to Mexico. I mean, you travel all over the world, being on the cruise ship and being, you know, um, in different, growing up in different places in, in the country and in the world. So for me, it was a big deal. That was my first trip to Mexico, I think. It was? I believe it was. Okay. Well, so then we were both experiencing it for the first time together. Yep. And that's where I felt like, oh my gosh, this is definitely someone I could spend the rest of my life with. So when it came to the proposal, you had the ring for what, all of two hours? And you, it was burning a hole in your pocket from what I recall that you just couldn't wait because we were going to go back to Mexico. And I think you had planned to propose when we were returning to Mexico for vacation. I had purchased the diamond and it took a while for Sal Vargas to make the ring. And once I got it, yeah, I was pretty excited and 
I couldn't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell the story about how with Barkley, your puppy, who I ended up adopting. Well, I, I obviously I was super nervous, and I, um, I was practicing. First, I, I asked Barkley what his thoughts were <laughs> on proposing to you. I love that. And um, you were already a pseudo mom, and uh, I, I was rehearsing with him on the proposal and you were late coming home from work and I kept calling you like, you know, where are you at? What are you doing? And, um, I stayed in my suit, which was very rare because I normally take it off right when I walk in the door and, um, yeah, the rest is history. I remember. She said yes. <laughs> I did. That was an easy yes. And I remember I was on the phone actually because I was completing an interview and it was just a, it was more probably of an inter informational both ways. And this was a, a job that would have moved me to Seattle. And I remember asking you, like, what if I get the job and, and I end up moving? What are we going to do? Because at that time, we were renting a house together. So we were living together maybe not even quite a year or about a year. And I'm thinking, you know, what's going to happen? And so I was really, I'm in deep thought about like, what am I going to do if I end up getting another interview and decide to take this job? Are we moving together? But what I remember about the day that you proposed that evening, that I came home and you'd played Sarah McLaughlin, my favorite. And I thought, well, that was interesting. But again, I think my thought was like, what am I going to do? I don't want to leave Joe and I would want him to come with me. Are we there yet? And then... You had popped the question. You got down on not just one knee, but you got down on both knees um, in front of, of Barkley. And it was probably the happiest moment of my life till the kids came. <laughs> it genuinely was the happiest moment that I think I'd ever felt in my entire life. I know you were nervous. <laughs> of course, I was super nervous. But yes, I said yes. And then we went to celebrate we and did. then went, decided we did go to Mexico on our vacation. I had my ring, which I wasn't even used to. And so I was so nervous about like wearing it and messing it up. But we got to Mexico. We were actually in Cancun, but we went to Cozumel. We back to, went to Cozumel and decided this is where we should get married. Well, we looked at some places in Denver, went mm, up to Vail, mm -hmm. looked at different places in the mountains, and then we decided to take a trip back to Mexico and just inquire about doing the um, the wedding at the Presidente, where we went for our first trip. And you had won that trip. I had a sales contest. And that's what brought us there in the first place. And yep. it felt like, wow, going back there was such a special place and the hotel made it so easy for us to have the wedding. Yes. I mean, okay, so inflation They weren't even they weren't used to they hadn't done a lot of destination weddings. So they were thrilled that we were approaching them about doing it there and they bent over backwards to accommodate us, as I recall. Yeah, it, they were amazing and I remember when we had sat down and it was really kind of like planning on the fly. Yes. Going there and saying, hey, we loved our first trip here. We just got engaged. We would love to have our wedding here. There was no wedding package, so that was not fixed. And so when we met with the catering manager, he had said, well, let's go ahead and do a five-course meal. And let's, you know, let's charge $40 a person. <laughs> Can't even believe what a bargain we got. It was so good, and it was so reasonable. The food was... And typically the food in Mexico, I, as I don't go to Mexico for the food. The food is usually not very good. The food was unbelievably good at our wedding. It was. And we had the surf and turf. We had uh, an, an ice, ice bowl, bowl of, was it cantaloupe soup? Cantaloupe soup. But the, the fact that, cheese. I mean, the, yeah, I mean, the reception area, which was right in front, uh, on next to the beach and during sunset. So we had an extraordinary sunset. You know how I feel about sunsets. And not only that, but the, the fact that the linen were not just on the tables, but it was all on the chairs. And so they just did an amazing, 
job with decorating and the service. We had a mariachi band during dinner. But then when we were also on that same trip making plans with the hotel, we went to a bar named Joe's Bar in Cozumel and found our band. And the band played or the band played salsa and reggae. And it was classic rock too, wasn't it? Yeah, they they were playing classic rock, but we'd asked for reggae and the salsa. And they, they were, were unreal. They were that. very, very good. What was it, like a seven-piece band? Yeah, seven or eight members. And the guy, the lead singer, was from Boulder, Colorado. And he actually flew back on the plane with a bunch of the guests from the... He was moving back to the States, and he was flying back on the plane with a bunch of our guests. That's right. I love all that synchronicity. Because when we had our wedding, what was so cool about it is that we had 60 of our friends and family join us and so they made a vacation out of it and it was a memorable experience we had and many for our guests too some friends got a lot of debauchery a lot of friends maybe a few of them got to know each other a little bit better (laughs) at the wedding you know when you're on vacation things happen and when we were together for so many days too that's what was so cool is everything came together, even though I was a stress ball. And, but we got married traditionally in church, yep. in a Catholic church. That was really for probably more my grandmother and your parents. But then the reception. So then we had, you know, the, that was just such a, an incredible experience for me too. And we got married in Mexico in a Catholic church by an Irish priest. Well, you can't get better than and that. We couldn't understand a word he was saying. He's this thick Irish brogue. <laughs> but I think he was saying something about how much we should honor each other. And, and so I got that much, really. That's about it. But it was very traditional in that sense, but untraditional when it came to the reception at the time. But, you know, th- the thing is that we were amongst many family and friends that uh, we wanted there. And so it was just amazing. So when we got back, our friends had not had kids yet. We were the first out of our group of ki- uh, friends. Yes, our friend group, we were the first people to have children. And I think all of them were in shock because I'd always talked about, like, when, after getting married, I wanted to. So, okay, so then I never went to grad school, by the way. I met Joe and things changed. I was definitely career-bound. Then I thought, you know, my five-year plan, though, is that we'll have kids later on because I still want to be able to get – I could still potentially get a master's degree and go into business. But then that changed as well. We wanted to have kids sooner than later. I did. You were resistant at first. Well, you would have started on our honeymoon night. I was trying. (laughs) And, And I was like, well, how about a year? Or two years, actually. I said, how about two years? And I think that's when we came to the the compromise of a year. However, I also remember it took a long time to get even conceived with our first. So Nick, uh, he was just stubborn, I guess, and decided, you know, I'm going to come in when I'm going to come in on my time. He was a challenge. Yeah. He was a challenge. I mean, he wanted to be delivered late. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Because when we, I think, conceived, it was... New Year's 2000. New Year's Eve 2000, 1999, going into 2000, and October of that year, September, late September, going into October was the busiest time, like in history, of people having children. Because I guess people were really enjoying New Year's Eve 2000. They were all celebrating bringing the new century in. Yes, they were. As we were. Yes, we we were. (laughs) So October rolls around. We have Nick, but it was definitely a a little bit of a challenge to get pregnant initially. And a friend of mine had actually told me that I should stand on my head and that should work. And it did. (laughs) We got pregnant right away after that. So you know what? Anybody who wants to give that a try and if you do and it works, or if you know somebody that you give that advice to, please let me know if it worked for them. But it worked for us. So that by the time that we were thinking that we were going to go for number two, I knew that we wanted to be close, you know, like you're 
age difference with you and your younger brother, Peter, and giving it time, we thought, okay, it might be two years apart, but nope, it was immediate. Jack was like, I'm coming in. He was easy. First month we tried and I'm pregnant. Don't forget, we were kind of freaked out because there's a lot of twins on your side of the family and a lot of twins on my side of the family. True, because my grandmother had three sets of twins. She was one of, yeah, there was three sets of twins. One of nine. And they she, skip a generation usually. Yep. So being, she was one of nine. Dear Florence was one of nine children in a Catholic Polish family. And with three sets of twins, we thought for sure. I mean, I think you really wanted to see two heartbeats. At some point. I don't know if I wanted to. I just thought there was a very good chance we might have twins. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to have. I mean, I thought it would be cool. That... And I, I think it would have been great, too, because I also thought, like, having four kids, like, the way that there were, you had two sisters and a brother. So everybody had a brother and everybody had a sister. And I thought if I could get pregnant twice and have twins with a set of girls and a set of boys, it'd be, like, two for one. <laughs> and have a set of twins, and we'd be done. The plan didn't work out that way. So, but Jack comes along, and neither pregnancy, we decided that we were just going to be surprised, Correct. that we didn't want to know the sex of the baby. And definitely, I mean, I had guesses, but the second time I had friends that joined me for an ultrasound at the 20 week appointment where we find out that we can find out the sex of the baby. So the doctor told my friends and they were really good because they did not share with me, but apparently I was wrong because I thought I was definitely having a girl. I thought I saw something on Jack that I thought I knew <laughs> we were having a, a boy the second time around. The, the, the giveaway. The giveaway. And I think I did too. It was pretty obvious actually. It was just kind of one of those things that I was I thought, well, if we were only going to have two, we're not going to have twins, a boy and a girl. Needless to say, we have our two amazing boys, and I'm so glad because I think that they've been able to also really get close. So yes. everything that I was hoping for um, with you and Peter modeling your friendship and your closeness, I see that with our boys, and it's been so cool to watch them grow up together. And it's been a challenge because they didn't always get along. I don't think. I'm not sure any kids always get along growing up. There's that's just human. Um, especially with kids. I mean, kids do dumb things and but I I always knew that it would work out between them. I mean, I had a lot of fights with my brother and um you get to a certain point where you grow up and put all that nonsense behind you and start becoming an adult. Yeah, and I think that is what I was always craving for that growing up. Like, I wish I had a sibling that was close to me. Right. And that I felt like I was always the babysitter more than anything. And when we would move, it wasn't that I had that connection. I felt like, oh, great, I'm going to be babysitting again, which is a lot of the reason why I joke about, you know, I want to, you know, clarify that the reason why I wanted to tie my tubes <laughs> was because I always felt like I was already a parent taking care of my siblings. And with babysitting them, I thought, no way, I've already done that. And a little bit of it too was like, God, I don't really, I do not want to mess up any other human beings. <laughs> and thankfully, I think we did a pretty good job with our boys. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I mean, being a parent is certainly challenging. There's no guide on, on how to do it. and. um they turned out really good. They really have. And the fact that both of them wanted to come home, and they have been ever since they left for college, um, and then Nick taking his gap year, going to work on a cruise ship. I mean, the fact that both of them want to come home for the holidays, and I think that our relationship has evolved with them. And, and I guess this is a great segue as far as what that experience was, because I, I've shared in a previous episode of how... I didn't feel like it was the best parent growing, or I didn't have the, maybe the best experience with childhood. You know, there was a lot of trauma resulting in leaving two world toward, war torn countries and watching a very dysfunctional relationship. I didn't know really how to have um, probably the, the most nurturing 
approach to parenthood and that I really relied on other people and things that I admired about them. And I also felt like I really had a close relationship with your parents. I was very thankful that I had such a good relationship with my in-laws. And I think that you're probably, I can guarantee you that my parents loved you more than they love me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting because my father was not, he was a very difficult person to be around. And I don't say that in a disparaging way. I love my dad, but um, I mean, as you know, I think he had really bad PTSD from the war. And as a kid growing up, you just never knew what you were going to get. So what it taught me, and I think you learned the same thing, is, you know, you learn what you didn't like about your parents and how you would change that being a parent. And I think we did a good job. Um, and we've always told our kids that. It's like, you know, you're, you're not going to agree with everything that we have done as parents. And there's things that, that I, as a, a parent, wasn't proud of what I did, and I wish I could have done it differently. But, um, you know, our kids will be better parents than we were. That's what we've always told them, too. Like, yes. Take what, you know, that you can learn from us, uh, things that maybe you appreciated, but definitely, like, if you can be a better parent or just be better in every way in life, you know, that I think that's what we have always hoped for for them is to have those experiences that we had hoped for and also to encourage them to also be their own person. And that really, though, was not something that I had grown up with. And I think you're right. I think it's always like a, you know, to kind of explain, like, when I've shared about my experiences in childhood, you know, I, I feel like growing up, if there are issues that we have, um, you, you know, yes, then those are things that we can say that the parents did or what they didn't do impacted our, our how we developed as a person or our values or what we want to be in the world ultimately. And I can say that same thing, that my parents... For me, I just feel like they were dealing with so much of their own trauma that they never resolved it, and they couldn't be the best parent as a result of really being in their own world and the way that they resulted um, with uh, really five children, um, you know, that I think with particularly my mom coming to the United States and having to deal with a different culture. She did the best she could. My dad, who is still alive, you know, and he did the best that he could, that were in a, I think, a place of like really being able to reflect back as far as, you know, we as parents did the best we could, Joe, you know, like absolutely, we only knew what we knew. And a lot of it from the time that they're born, right? It's more of like, I think for me anyway, I was very re reactive. It was a reaction based off of like, oh my gosh, this is how my parents reacted. So this is how I reacted. I may have mindfully over time said I want to do it different. But, you know, I wish I would have read or I wish I wouldn't have followed the books so much because I was looking for guidance. I didn't want to be the parent that I experienced. I wanted to be a different parent, but I resorted to like, oh, well, the manuals, that the, you know, the parent manual that we don't receive, but the books that we read and relied on that. And now I wish that I would have lied, relied on more of my intuition. Agreed. You know, like things like, okay, if the baby just needs to sleep in bed with us because he is not wanting to sleep alone, like Jack was really like, did not want to sleep in the crib. And that if I would have just said, you know, I, I feel better about him being in bed with us because ultimately they grow up and they're like, no, I'm old enough to be on my own, right? Like, I don't want to sleep with you anymore. I want to sleep in my own bed. Right. Agreed. I completely agree. So then when they got older, I think it was 
as they became more vocal, I feel that our kids almost, my experience was more that they're like, just because you do it this way doesn't mean this is what I want. And particularly, it was our eldest who was like vocal about, you know, is ever since he was four, has said, I'm an adult trapped in a kid's body. <laughs> he, he, he could be very difficult to deal with at times because he was so damn stubborn. And because he's like this old soul that would tell us what he needed or why, you know, I just didn't handle things the way that I wish I would have and listen to him more, you know, because I always thought like, oh, I'm the adult. I know more than you. In reality, when I think back, you know, that kids and what things that come out of the mouth of babes that he and Jack both had become my greatest teacher. Yeah, I, Teachers. To me, I think it, it's, I think it was really important that, that both of us have talked to our kids and, and, and told them, you know, there's things that we wish we'd done differently. And, you know, that there, there's, there's not a guide. And I think when you tell your kids, you know, I screwed up or I should have done this differently. I think kids appreciate that. Um, that made me feel a lot better. And I think it makes them feel better. And it, it's okay to be vulnerable with your kids. I agree. I feel like that was probably the thing that we have done a really good job with is to be able to admit our mistakes uh, to them and to also to be able to apologize. Yeah. I mean, I was hard on them because of my own insecurities of the, the shit that I did growing up. Um, I was a rotten kid. I just got away with everything. <laughs> and I don't mean that in a bad way. I didn't hurt people, but very mischievous. And um, Well, there was a rebellious streak in you, too. Yeah, but God, our, I mean, I remember you getting upset with our kids one time. And I said, I said, Bernie, our boys are saints compared to what I did. And I think that really shocked you, but I think it it may have been a relief to you at some point because you looked at me and you're like, well, he seems like a pretty normal guy and a, a pretty upstanding citizen. So I guess <laughs> our kids will be okay, right? Um, and the thing about our kids is we weren't strict parents. We were not helicopter parents. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't judge anybody on how they raise their kids. It's how we did it. And we gave our kids a really long leash and they never, man, they were good boys. They just, we didn't give them curfews and they just knew what our expectations were. And they were very, they were pretty manageable growing up. You know, you talk about the curfew and I had the curfew at midnight and I didn't want to place that on our boys. And what was interesting is that I broke curfew all the time and got grounded a number of times and hated it and suffered from it. And I was like, I'm not going to do that to my kids. And you know what? They would come home at reasonable hours. They never took advantage of it. And the thing that I loved was um, all their friends wanted to hang out at our house too. And I think a lot of that was, I mean... There was always tons of food at our house. You always, every time the kids would come over, you were going to get them pizza or ordering pizza or, um, you know, we just wanted to make sure all the kids were comfortable and had a place to hang out. And, um, it was, it was just nice. Our kids, like I hated being at home growing up. I didn't want anything to do with my parents. I did not want to be around them. And our kids liked being at our house. Yeah. Same. Same. I felt like we're, I witnessed uh, a friend whose parents were very open to like having everybody come over to the house. And I really appreciated that welcoming feeling because I did not want to be at home. And that also I felt like for us both, we really enjoyed our kids' friends. And their parents. Oh, we made friends with our kids' parents because of, you know, I think they helped us bring together our, our circle of friends and where we were traveling together, some great memories. And that's why I think when the holidays come around, where we've done all this travel or spring break, we've done all this travel with 
family, right? Our friends who become family and the holiday traditions that we would have together so that when we moved away from, you know, after the kids went off to college and then we moved, I mean, those are the things that I absolutely miss. I, I even went through melancholy um, the first year that we were away from our friends, our friends It and was fam- a lot of fun. Family. You, got, you did a great job of, you know, our Christmas parties and, um, and every year our, our dear friends would come over with all their kids and it was just a, it was so much fun having, spending time with all of them and their kids. And, um, we were very fortunate with the people we had in our life and the, the, our kids, friends, and, um, we were very, very blessed with how our lives turned out and, and how our kids turned out and the relationships we have with our kids and their friends. Oh, absolutely. If anything, I, I, you know, and I, I'm still friends with most of the family. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm friends with all of them. It's just that the, the, the closeness, I think of those who, you know, when we, you travel together and you create traditions together and I didn't have that growing up. You know, we were always, I mean, it was kind of, you know, we were with our family. Um, and it was usually going to my Aunt D's for Christmas or we'd have one thing I will say that the the traditions that we my dad created for us at Christmas time is probably why I love Christmas so much. And that I wanted to be able to have that for the kids too, because of the memory of like trying to produce as much of a a positive experience around the holidays. And so in doing so, then when we went away and didn't have that any longer, that was the, I guess the offset was like, oh, I'm missing that. But then being able to create new traditions. And I think for Thanksgiving, I, I like being able to travel. And we're not at home, but at Christmas time, I like being home. I want to be around um, the house because, you know, decorating and doing the tree um, is a big thing for me. And even with the ornaments and sharing, like, whatever the history is. From the time that I, the first year that I came to the United States, I still have ornaments that say 1975. Right. But thankfully, you're the good cook. Um, You are the cook of our (laughs) household. And meals are delicious because of you and probably why the kids really come home. (laughs) Uh, I love the fact that our kids like hanging out with us. Because that was not the case. That was not like me growing up. That was not what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, they're, they're young adults now and they're just, they're a blast to hang out with. They're funny as hell. Um, and I mean, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I mean, that's what we created. They, they like, they actually like us, which is good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I, I feel really blessed for that reason. And, you know, I, I, I think that's a great segue into when we talk about how with both of our childhoods being different, but we really, really wanted to be on the same page when it came to parenting. Yep. And that regardless of whether I really agreed with something that, you know, when you put the hammer down or if you were like in a disagreement with something that I would want or was going to allow the kids to do or vice versa, that we always remained on the same page. And I think that was really positive because then the kids learned early like oh we can't pull one over on mom because you know what if dad says something um when we go to mom and we didn't like what dad said but if maybe we go to mom she might be more of a pushover and let us do it and i was kind of like no what did dad say but they were pretty good about that i mean i when i was a kid i tried to manipulate that all the time because I would always say, my dad would say, like, no, or, you know, obviously he did not want something to happen. Go ask your mom. And, and I'd go to my mom and I'd say, well, yeah, dad said it was okay if you said it was okay. <laughs> and? But our kids were, I mean, they, they never, our kids never pitted us against one another like that. Um, mm. I think, if anything, the, the, the healthy thing that came from that 
is that the boys, even if I, again, even if you and I were on different pages, because we would have closed door conversations, right? Of, I would have probably let him go, or I wouldn't have said this, or I wouldn't have done that. The kids saw us on a united front. And for them, I think that made them become closer on their own united front. Sure. Because even when I would go and ask them questions about like, hey, what did, what did your brother think about this? Or what did your brother, how's he doing about this? They were very closed. And they'd be like, well, you need to ask, you need to ask Nick. Or Nick would be like, you need to ask Jack about that. Don't ask me about it. Or they would have a bonding strategy of like, well, if mom and dad are going to be united, then we have to be united. And that's really, I think, accidental from what the part of the, you know, parenting that united front creating them to be more on um, as allies, not just brothers, but seeing themselves as allies. Like we're in this together. Sure. And that has definitely been the case. And I actually, I'm, that was accidental, but something that I really am happy about that they have each other's back because no matter what, no matter what happens to us, if something happens to us, um, that ultimately that they will always have each other. And yep. they're the two that will have experienced growing up together and having that bond um, forever is everything that I was hoping for, for sure. I'm thrilled that they're good buddies. Yes, down to the fact that they were like wanting to travel together yep. next year to backpack through Europe um, for two months. We'll see how that goes. Yes. Because Nick is go, 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 go. And Jack's kind of like, well, why don't we just chill out? <laughs> Isn't that hilarious how like you have the two, no matter how, how many children you have, right? But the fact that we have our two boys, uh, they're complete opposites, I think. When it comes to personality and likes, they wanted different sports. So I think it was on purpose that they were like, we want to do different sports ultimately um, that they navigated towards. And their gifts or their talents are different and that they balance each other out, though, as a result. But two kids in the same household that can be also very different. I, I think that's a case in a lot of, I mean, I... From my perspective, growing up watching other people, it's that happens a lot, and it, I mean it, it's they complement each other very well. Yes, I agree. So they do; they complement each other, so that when we were, you know, talking about like hope, the hope that we wanted for the relationship. Now, if we were to to look back at the elementary school years and how we found out about learning differences. For both of them. And what I appreciated actually, this is when I had stepped away from the corporate world. And as we were discovering some, some learning challenges that Nick had, that, and this is why he's been such a great teacher, both of them, really, both Nick and Jack. But for me, like having Nick be so good at one subject or su a subject matter, but then not showing um, the same giftedness in another subject matter where we learned about his dyslexia. And then Jack was then tested because we were like, well, there's we're noticing some some differences in his learning and then learning that he has ADHD. For me, when I was growing up, I couldn't I could not figure out algebra and I thought I was just stupid. I'm like, why am I such a good writer, but I can't figure out math. And this was the era where there wasn't really anything that told you like, oh, here's your learning style. You know, you didn't take tests for that. But I felt so stupid. And I was always so self-conscious because already I was like, I'm so different than everybody else because I, you know, I, I was born in a different country. And so then when I wanted to excel in every subject, and for whatever reason, I became very insecure with math. And I know that there's a learning difference. I can't remember what it's called, but there is a learning difference for, for math. And so um, I just was very self-conscious about that. So I overstudied almost to overcompensate 
in a, in a way that it was like, okay, see, I'm not stupid. <laughs> um, you know, so that we're, when our boys learned about their learning differences, it taught me so much about my own learning differences. And when Jack learned about his ADHD, it, I thought it was very profound what you were able to discover growing up in school. Well, I mean, I had horrible ADD, but back then nobody knew what it was. And everybody thought I was just dumb, including myself. I mean, I'd sit in class all day and, and look out the window, you know, eight hours during the day, just waiting for school to be out. I just couldn't stand being there. Um, and I did not care about school at all because I couldn't, it, I just couldn't grasp it. I mean, I don't know if any, any of the listeners out there remember I'm guessing you guys are all about the same age if you're listening to this podcast, but there was an old Memorex commercial where a guy's sitting in a chair and he's got speakers in front of him. The speakers are blaring. You can just tell the speakers are blaring and the music is just screaming by him. And that's how it was when people were talking to me or I'm in class, people are talking and I'm not hearing a word. I'm not absorbing any of it. It's just going right by. And um, it was an awful way to grow up. It really was. It, it's to sit in, in school for, you know, till you're a senior in high school and you hate every minute of it. You feel less than, you feel dumb because you just cannot absorb any of it. Um, it was tough. The, you're thinking of the Memorex. The Memorex. What'd no. I say? No, 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 no. You were like, I don't remember what the ad was, but. Oh, the Memorex commercial, Because yes. the, the cool poster yes. of the guy, like the, it looked like the speaker was just blaring so much that yes. his tie or something, like everything was blowing. Is, is it live or is it Memorex? I totally get it. And that's how I was with math. And two things. I didn't want my kids to experience the prejudices and, uh, you know, what I had grown up with, the Vietnam era stigma and then coming from Iran during the anti-Shah revolution, like people thinking that our family was terrorists that I learned later <laughs> from a friend who was like, I was told I couldn't play with you because you were a terrorist. It, you know, like whatever circumstances are, I think that's what's interesting about what we bring into our parenting are all of those insecurities growing up. And we don't want our own kids to experience it. So we try to either shelter them or in my case, where I was like super critical, I was so hard on the boys if they made a mistake, right? Because my perfectionism that I wanted them to be perfect children because I didn't want them to experience the pain and the judgment that I had. And you know, and particularly when they learned, had the learning difference and it was like, well, you know, that this is something that it wasn't understood for us. You know, when we were first told that Nick probably could use an IEP plan um, or a 504 plan. And I remember we were like, well, we can't have that because that means that people are going to judge him or look at him differently versus now realizing like that is when the parent has to be super diligent to ensure to as an advocate for our children that just because they have a learning difference I don't like using disability because they have a learning difference doesn't mean that they're any less smart and that's I think what watching them go through their learning differences. My projection was, see, I'm not stupid. Neither are they. And I wanted to be able to be their very best advocate and champion to ensure that they were getting the best education, but support for it so that they have this desire to continue to learn and not want to be somewhere else. Like, yeah, being in the classroom might be challenges for boys anyway, right? Yep. <laughs> Because of the activity, you're just like, I want to be outside playing. I want to be doing sports. I want to be just doing something other than just sitting still. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Because my mind is racing and I need to also love what I'm learning. Not because we're all learning the same things, 
But what I, I learned from our boys is that, no, they weren't at all. If anything, we learned that it was gifted with the learning disability, which is now considered twice exceptional. So having a, being gifted in one area, but then having a deficiency of learning capacity of another subject doesn't, it makes them twice exceptional. And that, um, that I think most kids want to be able to be seen for what they're really good at, not what they're not good at. And we bring that into parenting, right? So that we're like, God, we just don't want our kids to suffer or feel the same sadness that we experienced. That's the insecurities that I was talking about that I was pushing on them because I didn't want them to go through what I went through, especially Jack. I mean, Jack's just like me. And I never wanted him to feel less than or it was important to me that if they want to go to college, that they would get into college. And that's why I was very hard on them in school to do well in school. Ugh. And we also, you know, we also would do anything that we needed to do to make sure they had the resources. And, and fortunately we were in a position to do that. Um, if they needed tutoring or something or any, any other type of help with school, we could provide that for them. The tutoring was so incredible. And when I mean tutor, like we had Johanna. She was awesome. Who helped Nick with his reading. And Johanna was a lifesaver because she first took the time to know who he was and to really ask him questions. And when we still ask Nick today, like, what was it that helped you get over that hurdle? Because at, at a point where we were giving him books on tape to listen to and that he could follow the book, yep. but it was with his sessions with Hannah. And I think it was like, you have someone who believed in you. That's what Nick will say. Johanna made all the world of difference because she believed in me. She has a gift. She has a gift and in so many ways so that he was more confident going into that classroom. No matter what, if he felt behind, yes, there was going to be, I mean, just by age, right? Then you get to middle school. <laughs> and we, we, we actually took our kids out of the, the school where they were and placed them in a different school that focused more on the giftedness part. Yep. And that's where Nick had a teacher who taught him how to write. Because yep. he was so insecure about writing. And now it was like, gosh, she was a hard and tough teacher, but she taught me how to write and the things that you would never know. I think if anything, if Nick were here today, he probably wouldn't be like, I don't want to be labeled. I don't want to be labeled as somebody who has dyslexia because what he has done is said, what happened for me is that I was able to take something that I wasn't good at and learned a way to use my voice, how I would speak, because he's always been a strong speaker. I mean, he learned his first word. And I know people are kind of like, no way, cannot be. But at seven months, he was a parrot. He was a parrot at seven months so that anything he heard, he would just repeat it. He may not have known what it was, but I remember saying, oh my gosh, I was on the phone and I, I was saying, oh, wow. And all of a sudden I hear him go, oh, wow. Yeah. So he clearly has an auditory skill that, all right, I heard this, I can repeat it. And that's the same way for him. It's like, I, I'm an experiential learner. So that's no wonder that he's kind of following your footsteps on, on the cruise ship where he's like. Now the go-to guy for training because people are like, you know what? You grasped onto it so easily you can train others because it was hands-on. For him, he's like, I need to experience learning the actual, you give me a task, show me how to do it, I do it, and I'll excel at it. It's not where he can be in a classroom necessarily and learn and read from something, but if he has that ability to share that with others. And then with Jack, where, I mean, he always surprises us. Even though he has ADHD, he surprises us all the time where he'll like knock it out of the ballpark with his 
test scores or his grades. <laughs> what about when he came home with the the drawings from his art class? I had no idea he could draw anything. And he came home with the pictures. I was shocked. I mean, shocked at how good of a drawer he was. Oh, I, both of them. Yeah. Both of them having the skill of being and able to draw. And... To, to write. And well, far exceeding anything that I could have done in school. I mean, especially when they, they took their ACT and SAT test scores. I mean, I was really worried more about myself because I couldn't get those high scores as much as, and we, that I, I never took any kind of tutoring, but I was like, I, of course on the math side is where I failed. Thankfully it was the, 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 I guess the writing portion. I, I could write the hell out of an essay. <laughs> But give me math. And I'm like, oh, I've got to totally make up for it on one side. And the both of them did so much better than I did in the SAT and AC test. And that's where I was thinking, okay, at least to give them the support that I never had at home. I mean, it was stumbling through elementary school, kind of like the quirks through middle school and by high school. And even when they got to college. It was all about them being much more secure about what they wanted to learn and focus more on their their uh, their skill sets versus their deficiencies. Right. So I know today we were supposed to be talking about kind of like where, you know, what how our perspectives were from me being this empty nest. <laughs> Uh, survivor to you being this free bird mindset. But I think clearly we need another episode <laughs> to share more on the subject matter of like, how do parents transition? And, you know, cause you and I having different experiences with that, you know, I was definitely like, because of all of that background, like, you know, I, I, I think that I'm, not wanting to let go of parenting now that I, I seem to have figured out that I really enjoy it. I really love being with my kids. I love who they are. And to see them wanting to be free on their own, um, whereas you had a different mindset. And where I give you credit for the free bird terminology that I use for the podcast. You had a totally different feeling about it. You were like, are you kidding me? We're free birds. We can go do whatever we want. <laughs> but your kids are supposed to leave the house. And, you know, you never know if they're going to be ready for it. Um, and they just have to go and see what happens. Well, I think you're right. I mean, I knew I was done at home because I, I was like, I, I really need to have my own life. When I turned 18, I didn't actually leave until I was 19, where I went to, you know, pay for rent on my own, and you went to work on a cruise ship. And our kids, though, still come home, but they want to. Yes. Neither one of us wanted to. Correct. We couldn't wait to be to away. To be gone. Yes. So I think... The next episode will actually be. <laughs> I'd love to do it. Let's do it. Part two <laughs> is where we really delve in to the empty nest syndrome mindset, to the freedom mindset of he said, she said, mom's perspective versus dad's perspective. But now at least our, the listeners know a little bit of our background and probably understanding where we're coming from as to why my mindset was different than yours. I think a lot of that's probably, we can discuss it later. I think it's more maternal and paternal um, on how parents react. But yeah, I'd love to come back in and, and finish this conversation. <laughs> well, hence, that's like the maternal side is like, I'm coming from my heart. And you may be coming more from a logistical side. Maybe that is the part of the I difference we'll of male and females, but we will definitely come back and return to the subject of empty nest mindset versus freebird mindset from he said, she said from 
perspective of mom, perspective of dad. So, okay. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Come back for part two because clearly <laughs> it'll be good. <laughs> we we want to share how our different perspectives have actually gotten us through this interesting life change because it is it's really exciting what is to come and so there's more to share until next time thanks for joining us today cheers cheers if you enjoyed this episode of in a prosecco be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted Rate and review the show, and please do comment and share ideas for topics that are important to you. A friend who cares is a friend who shares. Here's a toast to you on your re-inspirement journey. Cheers.